Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for January 27th, 2008. And today's teaching will be entitled, Mormonism, Christian or Cult? And obviously it is a cult, but in light of the remarks that Joel Osteen said, and I've had some people email me about not pronouncing Osteen right. It's Osteen, sorry. And, uh, sorry about that, from before. But, in light of him, in the interview that they did, in the questioning in regard to Mitt Romney, uh, where he said that he believes Mitt Romney is a Christian, and, and, and he believes in Jesus Christ as his Savior, and these types of things, let's get to the bottom of that. Let's look at Mormonism, and let's see what they teach, what this cult teaches their followers. And you're going to see it's diametrically opposed to Christianity, just like all cults are, essentially. Uh, they always have to go after Jesus Christ, and this cult goes much further than just going after Jesus Christ as well. We're going to just look at what they teach. This is why I like to do these studies, because what we're going to be doing today is quoting from a lot of their supposed unholy books. And it speaks for itself. It's not something that they could possibly hide, um, but what they've done in the last years, uh, 10, 20 years, is they've put on a big PR campaign, public relations, to try to gloss over their image and try to make them look like they're these wonderful Christian-type people. And there's a reason for that. We're going to get to that a little bit later. This article starts out by saying, Mormonism, known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with headquarters in Salt Lake City, Utah, a state that is now 70% Mormon. Now, I've heard the statistics are a lot higher than 70. Uh, but it was actually officially founded in 1830 by Joseph Smith, Jr. And he lived from 1805 to 1844. He's the guy that started the, the whole thing. Smith claimed to have had a personal visit from God, the Father, at the age 15, who introduced him to Christ. Jesus then supposedly told him not to join any church because they were all wrong, and all Christian doctrines were an abomination, were, quote, an abomination. Now, this is what supposedly Jesus told him. Now, this is from, that was documented from Joseph Smith, History 19, Pearl of Great Price. Now, the Pearl of Great Price is one of their three uh, unholy books that they go by that are extra-biblical. So, let's, I'm going to... Uh, there's a little number one there you can go to. I'm going to try to make this available on the internet, this, this study in a uh, PDF format. Now, so before we go any further, the Bible lists six identified marks of false prophets, any one of which is sufficient for identification. Number one, through signs and wonders, they lead astray after false gods. Okay, So even if the, the signs and wonders are, let's say, real, or apparently real, if they lead you to a false god, they're still lying signs and wonders. And this is going to be the very chief earmark of how the Antichrist is going to deceive the whole world. And it says that. It's very clear in Revelation. It's through the signs and wonders. Through the craft. Okay? Through the witchcraft. And, and the, the Bible talks about that in Daniel. That he's going to cause craft to prosper in his hand. And that he's going to be a speaker of dark sentences. He's going to be adept in the occult, and in witchcraft. So this is the coming one world, the essence of the coming one world religion. Now, um, an example of this, where you, you would, through signs and wonders, lead people to other false gods, is in Deuteronomy 13, 1-4. through 4. 
The second way you can identify a false prophet is their prophecies don't come to pass. Deuteronomy 18, 20-22, and I quote that verse quite a bit. And in essence, what it says is that if a prophet is of God, what he says is going to have to come to pass. And now, what I would also proviso that with is that it's going to have to line up with the Bible as well. Okay, He's going to lead you to God. He's not going to lead you away from God. Okay, But these people that come out there and supposedly give these prophecies, and they're coming to pass 50% of the time at best, and that's normally not even the case. Benny Hinn is a great example. I mean, how many of his have actually come to pass? Hardly any. He said, he said some real whoppers. And so these other guys on, on the whole Word of Faith, TBN, they say prophecies all the time. They'll come. This is one of the main reasons I got out of the Pentecostal movement. Because all I had to do was look at the Bible and see that these guys were false prophets. But they just go their merry way, the, the people that follow them, as though nothing happened when they don't come to pass. So that's another sign. Then number three, they contradict the word of God, which an example of that would be is in Isaiah 8.20. So they say a prophecy, but it's in direct contradiction of the word of God. Well, then that's a false prophet. okay? Because God is not going to contradict his word. Number four, they bear bad fruit. By their fruits ye shall know them. Okay, that's in Matthew seven eighteen through twenty. Uh, number five would be all men speak well of them, which is in Luke um, six twenty six, where Jesus warns about that. You know, woe unto them when all speak well, men speak well of you. Uh, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So if the world loves a particular preacher or whatever, then you have to automatically question. Whether they're of God. I mean, Jesus was despised of all men. His very, his very disciples forsook him. The disciples essentially all died martyrs' death. Then you have the martyrs dying martyrs' deaths. You know, they weren't well loved of men. And then we have thereby denying, uh, and then they deny that Jesus, the one and only Christ, has come once and for all for all flesh. 1 John 4.3, they deny that, thereby denying his sufficiency in all matters of life and godliness. Most cults are founded upon false prophecies, which, if pointed out, offer an effective way to blind the eyes and rescue cultists. Actually, they're not really rescuing them, they're damning them to hell, unfortunately. Mormonism boasts of its prophets, but they have but they have all been false. Every single one of their prophets have been proven false prophets because they didn't line up with any of these tenets that we just went over. Okay, so that's all you really need to know to know to stay away from this. Okay? Mormonism, um, in the course of 18 years, founding prophet, false prophet should be saying, founding false prophet Joseph Smith made 64 specific prophecies. Only 6 of them were ever fulfilled, so that's fewer than 10%. That's not a really good batting average. Many of the proclamations dealt with the future of his church. For example, in August 1831, he stated that God had told him, quote, the faithful among you shall be preserved and rejoice together in the land of Missouri. End of quote. In September of 1832, he stated that the city of independence would become, quote, the new Jerusalem. Even the place of the temple even the place of the temple, which temple shall be reared in this generation? End of quote. Six years later, the Mormons were driven out of independence. Okay, so so much for it being called New Jerusalem. No no temple was ever built there. 
Oh, another false prophecy. Eventually, they were driven from Missouri and settled in Utah. In 1833, Smith prophesied that the United States would suffer unparalleled multiple disasters, pestilence, hail, famine, and earthquake. These are all quotes from this false prophecy. Which would then sweep the wicked non-Mormons off the land. That's a pretty bold prophecy there. Obviously, it didn't happen. And what that what would then happen is it would leave the Mormons safe in their Zion Haven in, in Missouri. Instead, they fled to Utah. Among Smith's other false prophecies was the declaration in 1835 that Christ would return within 56 years. We know that didn't happen. And many living then would not taste of death till Christ comes. Well, we know that didn't happen either. These are just some of his false prophecies. This is from, the source of this is History of the Church, Volume 2, page 182, Volume 5, and also Volume 5, page 336. Okay, so these are, this is Mormon history we're talking about here. We're not making this stuff up. So if we go back to the, to the main article... <clears throat> After Smith's murder in 1844, Brigham Young took the cult to Utah. Now, the reason that Joseph Smith was murdered is because he was a Freemason, and what he did is he stole the, the secrets of the Freemasons, of the Freemason, Freemasons, and, and he incorporated them and amalgamated them into the Mormon religion, into the Mormon temple rites. Okay, the Freemasons took issue with that because these are secret things that they were commanded in different and varying degrees to take blood oaths. And you're going to see the Mormons have the blood oaths, or, the, or at least they used to. They had, they had very, very similar blood oaths. And the Bible says, above all, swear not. You're not supposed to take these types of, of oaths that are absolutely, totally, diametrically, diametrically opposed to what Jesus Christ told us. But, he took all of these oaths when he was a Freemason to not divulge the secrets of the first degree, to not divulge the secrets of all these different and various degrees. Well, what he did is he just stole them all, incorporated them into the Mormon church, and the Freemasons took issue with them. And when he was killed, uh, most likely it was done at the hands of the Freemasons. He was murdered because of that. So, it's good to know that. Um, as far as the uh, little background. So ap after Smith's murder in 1844, Brigham Young took the cult to Utah, where there is now a major un uh, university named after him. Oh, just so you know, if any of you guys out there, anyone out there uses um, uh, the uh, Young Living essential oils, because I did it one time, um, but I did the more and more research I did on it, the more I realized that's a whole cult in and of itself. Because it's a very, very big movement, particularly in America, of people that use these. And Young Living, uh, the guy that, that owns it and operates it and founded it is a guy named Gary Young. Gary Young incorporates Christianity with occultism, with New Age, with Mormonism into his big cult. And he literally does have a cult following. The reason it's called Young Living is because Gary Young is a descendant of Brigham Young. I heard him in his lecture saying, well, that's why they just call me a chip off the old block. Because he was big and bold just like Brigham Young. And we're going to look at some quotes from Brigham Young later. That's just a little sidebar for people because um, a lot, I've gotten to a lot of debates with people over the Young Living Essential Oils. So anyway, if we go further... <clears throat> 
Uh, let's see here. So Brigham Young took the cult to Utah, where there is now a major university named after him, and the number of Mormons then exceeded 1 million. The Mormon Church currently claims about 11 million baptized members worldwide, 5.2 million in the U.S., ranking it fifth among the 25 largest U.S. denominations. Did you know that? The Mormons are fifth? And this was this article, you know, isn't totally current. I don't know if they've upped the ante on that or not. That's that's pretty noteworthy. Five point two million in the U.S. Just think of five point two million going to hell. Now, what is Satan's goal in regard to every single cult? If you really want to boil it all down, it's to get them to hell. It's to deceive them, make sure they don't get saved, and get them to hell as quickly as possible, he comes, he comes to kill, to destroy, to steal. That's why Satan's here. Okay, He is our adversary. So, you know, this is why this is something that we need to know about, because this, this false religion has taken a lot of people to hell. And if you don't know how to defend against this false religion, um, you might have a rough time if, the, you ever, if you're ever confronted with them. Because, see, they're trained, they're from a very, very early time when they become Mormons, they're trained on how to battle Christians in particular. I don't really believe they emphasize a lot of other religions, but Christianity, they will. Because, see, they have actually, they actually use the King James Bible, but they also have their three other false books that they go by. We're going to look at some of the quotes from some of those false books, and you need to know how to battle against this if you're ever confronted with it. Over the last decade, nearly 300,000 individuals over the age of eight have joined the Mormon Church every year. Membership is expected to grow to over 23 million over the next two decades. It is growing fastest in Latin America and Asia. Uh, official publications include, quote, Church News, a weekly 16-page newspaper, and Insign, a monthly magazine. Now, this is how one of the main propaganda tools they'll use to brainwash people in mass. The Mormon Church collects at least six billion a year from its members. Six billion. They make even Benny Hinn envious. And generates at least another five billion in sales from its various business enterprises. Yeah, that was something Jesus told you to do, you know, to have your the, the false cults, you know, own businesses so that they could profiteer. Yeah. Anyway, um, the church's total assets exceed thirty billion. So there's a lot of power behind this particular movement. And uh, as we know, we have a candidate now running in the uh, presidential race as a Republican named Mitt Romney. And uh, this is the one that Joel Osteen said uh, he believes he's a Christian. He believes, you know, he's, you know, they're brothers and these types of things. And this is how little and low discernment... Of course, I don't even want to give him that much credit. I really don't. I really believe he knows exactly what he's doing. I believe the people at that level know what they're doing. They're groomed to do these things. Um, because if you were Satan, and you were wanting to try to infiltrate Christianity, how would you go about it? Would you try to just influence the people, individual people in the churches that really don't have a lot of power? Or would you try to go after the heads of these respective denominations in America and respective TV ministries? Who would you try to go... Well, who's going to reach the most people? Well, if he can corrupt the head, if the head is sick, the body's going to be sick. Well, you go to Osteen's church, 
you sit under that apostate, lukewarm teaching, and you're going to be corrupted. Guaranteed. You can't sit under a false teacher and it not affect you. So that's what Satan's plan is. So if we go further, it says at least a hundred companies are controlled by the Mormon church. And some estate estimate a total annual revenues in excess of $20 billion. I'm just giving you this as background information because I think it's noteworthy. This isn't just some little fringe call here we're dealing with. The church also owns 80, 18 radio stations in the U.S. Part of the church's income goes to operate an elaborate internal welfare system so its members avoid any governmental assistance. They want to really have total control over their membership. More so than probably, I think more so than any other cult at this level. Now there's other cults that have more control over people. I mean, if you're in like a communal type of environment. But they've done, they've almost created their own commune in Utah. So they really have a lot of control, more so than even something like a Catholic church would. You know, Catholic churches don't exert this level of control typically over over the vast majority of their members. Now, if you let them, they will. But Mormonism, I think, is, takes it to another level. The Mormon church also has 58,000 plus missionary force, working in more than 160 nations and 102 languages. And again, the, 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 um, the goal of these missionaries, now I'm not saying they're, they're even aware of this, but the goal of these, let's say 58,000 plus missionary force, and you, you'll see them riding around your town, uh, typically you'll see young, boy, young men or boys in these um, shirts, and they'll be riding around, they'll, have, they'll make sure they're all in the compliance with the law, they've got their, their little biking helmets on, and they've got ties on, and they're very distinctive. And people look at them and say, oh, what good Christian boys they are. And they come and they're real clean cut and, and, and they, they're trying. The Satan is using this 58,000 mission force to take as many people to hell as possible. That's the goal. When I see them, I pray against them. I don't pray God bless them in their efforts. We're not supposed to bless that in that way. The, old, the main way you can bless somebody is praying for their salvation. Praying that God opens their eyes that they would actually get saved. And whatever it takes, if God has to hang them out over hell in this life so that they get saved, so that they don't go to hell, so be it. Do whatever it takes, Lord. I pray the fear of God be on them. I don't pray God bless them in their wickedness because it's wicked. They're thinking they're earning their way to heaven. All they're doing is earning their way to hell. And they wouldn't have to do anything to earn their way there anyway. But when they get to hell, they're going to be responsible for a lot of other people going to hell. So their punishment is going to be greater. I don't know. I mean, just if you start thinking about these things and carrying to their logical conclusion, that's, that's what's happening, if you really think about it. So think about that next time you see them riding around. I don't want them to go to hell. I pray to God they go to heaven. But I also don't want them to take people to hell either. So if we go further, uh, they receive these uh, 500 missionaries. Oh, the church's Provo, Utah, 26-acre missionary training center receives 500 new missionaries a week. It is three to nine-week intensive missionary brainwashing training program. 
All boys, once they turn 19, are expected to dedicate two years of their lives to the missionary service. Fielding missionaries is a $500 million per year effort and currently reaches more than 300,000 new converts each year. So it's paying off for the Mormon church. Nevertheless, only about 46% of Mormons attend a church meeting at least once a month. That was surprising to me to find that out. The clean-cut image the Mormons have attained has been a major factor in the attractiveness of the Mormon church to outsiders. They are fitting to forbidden to drink coffee, tea, and alcoholic beverages, and use tobacco products. So they, they present themselves as super, super squeaky clean. The Mormon church, and again, but they're trying to earn their way to this supposed heaven that they think they're going to. The Mormon church, or the Church of Latter-day Saints, is organized so that one prophet leads a church. Beneath the prophet in authority is the Council of Twelve Apostles, a third group of men called the First and the Second Councils of the Seventy. Okay, so there's one prophet that leads the, the Mormon church together, not just a Mormon church, but the whole Mormon church. Beneath that, the prophet in authority, uh, beneath the prophet in authority is the Council of Twelve Apostles, and then you have a third group of men called the First and Second Councils of the Seventy. All of these men gather together are called the general authorities. Local churches are called wards or stake centers and meet for worship in what the Mormons call meeting houses. The temples are not for worship, but are used for ceremonies for the living and the dead. Now we're going to look we're going to talk about that in a second what that means. Less than 10% of all the LDS meaning Latter-day Saints or Mormon church less than 10% of the LDS members are allowed to enter these structures. Oh, boy, you got to be a really big potentate to get in one of these places, the temples. Only 10% of Mormons can even get in one of these places. Now, remember what I said before, Bill Schneblin, who was a former Satanist, former voodoo practitioner, he was into lycanthropy and, and uh, uh, vampirism, I'm sorry, lycanthropy is another sect of the occult world. He was told by an occultist that if you ever get into trouble, and I'll just reiterate this for this teaching, says, if you ever get into trouble, a safe haven for all occultists is the Mormon church. It's well known. He was already what they call a 93rd degree Mason, because there's different degrees in European Freemason, Freemasonry. And uh, he had achieved supposedly, I think, a 90th degree or 93rd, I don't know. And he knew um, a lot of the inner workings of the Mormon church just because he was that high up in the Freemasons. Because, like I said, it's just repackaged Freemasonry. And he got into trouble because um, he had got a canceled church back from the First Church of Satan, because he was a member of that. He got a canceled check back, and it said, I'll be praying for you in Jesus' name. And from that point on, his wife, who was a witch, and he, who was a witch, lost all of their occultic powers. They Their whole life was an absolute total shambles because of probably one lady, little old lady that was right with God, maybe she had a church group praying for them, was praying for them. That's the power of prayer. Okay? And that spurred him into the Mormon church because his life was falling apart. It was like a safe haven for them. And when they went in there, he felt totally comfortable. In fact, they, they, they achieved very, very high level within the Mormon church very quickly. They were admitted into the temple 
because of his extensive occult background, which is really what you need if you're going to want to go to the higher levels in the Mormon church. That just goes to show you right there how evil the place is. And yes, it is this bad. I'm not exaggerating. In fact, it's worse than what I'm saying. When we're when it's all said and done, and we're in heaven, I believe the Lord's going to show us how bad it really was. How many things we were probably deceived, and I'll include myself in that, about different things that were going on under our noses that we weren't aware of. So, if we go further, at the end of the year 2002, there were 114 operating temples of Mormon-dom worldwide. So there was 114 operating temples. Now remember, the temples are the place where they perform ceremonies for the living and the dead. Only 10% of the Mormons can actually even get in to one of these temples. And then with another 14 under construction or approved, so there's 14 other of these temples, these abominations under construction, approximately 65,000 members must be in an immediate area to qualify for a temple. So see, they got their standards. They got to have at least 65,000 Mormons living in an immediate area to qualify for a temple. Temples are required for Mormon marriages and for proxy baptism of ancestors. Now that's biblical. Yeah, let's, let's, bapti let's baptize by proxy somebody who's been dead. But that's what they do. Most people assume Mormon temples are places of worship. This is not true. Only secret occult rituals for the living and the dead are performed there. The Mormons think they must perform them to have eternal life. Again, here we get into the whole thing of being saved through works. Which is true of every single cult. Or even if they call themselves Christians. If you believe you get into heaven through your own works, through being a good person, through being a good Mormon, through being a good Catholic, through being a good Hindu, or Buddhist, if you believe that, you're not going to heaven. Period. You don't get there through works. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, faith in Jesus Christ, in that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of works. Why? Because lest any man should boast. Well, why? Why can't I boast about my works? Because the Bible says God will share his glory with no one. Period. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. How do you get saved? Well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yeah, but the Mormons believe on Jesus Christ. No, they don't. No, they don't. We're going to see what they believe about Jesus Christ. Believing on Jesus Christ is believing the Word of God. And if you believe in the Word of God, you're not going to believe what the Mormons teach about Jesus Christ. Because it's a lie from the pit of hell. They believe that Jesus Christ and Satan are brothers. That's how, they, that's how they destroy the gospel. Because if you believe that one thing, the gospel is pretty much out the window. Whereas the Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ is Michael the Archangel. Well again, that one thing will get you to hell if you believe in that. You think that Jesus Christ is Michael the Archangel? Well that kind of dis distorts everything in the gospels. It's like throwing a big monkey wrench. It's what it is, is it's throwing leaven. And a little leaven leaveneth a whole lump. Like I said, this the goal here is for Satan to get you to hell. 
He is the most subtle beast of the field. The serpent was the most subtle beast of the field, according to Genesis 3. And he's very good at what he does. He says he's had thousands of years to hone his craft. Literally, witchcraft. He's good at what he does. Don't underestimate him. So if we go further... Uh, Let's see here. It is tragic that over 11 million Mormons think that they need secret handshakes, oaths, incantations, and rituals which originated in the Scottish Rite Freemason, Freemasonry. See, they know, this article knows this. Secret handshakes, all this other stuff. They think they got to have all this stuff to go to heaven. What an abomination to Christ. What an abomination to Lord Jesus Christ who sitteth on the right hand of God ever maketh intercession for the saints. But they believe you got to have all that to go to heaven. In the final years of Joseph Smith's life, he became a worshipful master in the Masonic Lodge. And again, that's what he did. He just, he just stole a lot of their tricks and secrets. That's why he was killed. Because those are called blood oaths that he took at those levels. And they have, you know, he took the oaths, they killed him. Many today are under the false impression that Mormonism is merely another Christian denomination, when in actuality Mormon beliefs are not only unbiblical, but anti-Christian. The highlights of what Mormons believe concern, concerning their source of authority um, the highlights of what... Okay, so we're going to look at what the highlights of their, of their beliefs are regarding the source of authority, the Trinity, God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, sin, salvation, heaven, and hell. Okay, we're going to just look at those tenets right now. Their source of authority. Mormonism teaches that the canon of Scripture was not closed when the Bible was completed. Now, this is the foundation of our faith, the Word of God. And the Bible says in Proverbs 11.3, Psalm 11.3, that if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundation is destroyed, which is the word of God, then what can we do? Well, that's why I'm so big on what Bible version are you reading? Are you reading a, a corrupt NIV, which has 64,098 less words than a King James, to be exact, which is almost 10% of the total text, which was ultimately came from the revised version of 1881, which was spawned by two occultists named Westcott and Hort, they were the ones that translated it from two Catholic manuscripts, the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticanus. Catholic manuscripts that were corrupt and contradicted themselves in so many places that they finally said, well, when we do this translation, wherever they contradict, we'll just use the Vaticanus. Those manuscripts ultimately came from Alexandria, Egypt. They were corrupt and leavened from the very, very get-go. That's what you have in your hands if you have an NIV. It is that important. But the Mormons carry it even further because they've got extra-biblical books like this Pearl of Great Price, you know, the Book of Mormon, and then another one called the Doctrine and Covenants of the Pearl of Great Price. Now, the Book of Mormon um, has been changed in more than 4,000 places since 1830. Probably to cover their tracks. So these are the three other... And these three books, and this is true of every single cult. If you have a cult that has extra-biblical books, or if it has somebody like, let's say, the Pope was a good example, that says something contradictory to the Bible, guaranteed, the Pope's word or those extra-biblical books will always take precedent 
and overrule the Bible when they contradict. Every time. That's a given. So see, yeah, sure, they can have a King James Bible. They've got three other sources of things. These, these unholy books, plus their false prophets, that contradict the Bible all the time. Well, anything goes then. I mean, you know, they have no foundation. The Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119, verse 89. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, what if the lamp and light has been corrupted and leavened? Well, it's not going to be light your way too well. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, they don't have... Their lamp has been put out through these other false books, through these other false prophets. See, they're following men, ultimately. They're following, ultimately, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. And the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and his heart departeth from the Lord. Cursed be the man. That's what they're doing. They're following some man and some cult. They're not following the Word of God. So, you know, this is something that's very, very important. This is the foundation of their faith. And this is how they were a cult to begin with, and that cult is all they're ever going to be. Because they've been corrupted from the very inception. So they used the three books. The Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. Extra-biblical books. However, Mormons follow the teachings of these three books, even when they contradict the Bible. Of course they do. For example, Mormonism teaches that the Bible is the Word of God, quote, as far as it is translated correctly. Well, there, a lot of people question the translation of the King James Bible, but I, I tell you what, I got a lot more ammunition to question the translations of the other, all the other abominations that, that are out there on the other side that are translated from these two Catholic manuscripts that I mentioned earlier. And I have a line, a, a timeline chart in a King James defense packet that I can send you for free in the email, in a Word document, and you can look at the two streams of Bible and where they came from. And, and, and exactly, you can go right down the timeline and see there's two distinct streams. One's a corrupt stream. One's an uncorrupted stream. So just email me and I'll send that to you. My, my email address is on all the sermon audio website things, and uh, a lot of times people ask me also, they say, well, do you have a website? No, I don't have a website other than the Sermons Audio site. Uh, I've got my hands so full right now with the Sermons Audio because it's exploding, praise the Lord, and I'm not going to take credit for that, I'll give the Lord the glory, totally, um, but I'm getting so many inquiries from so many different parts of the planet now. Uh, it's all I can do to just basically keep up with just that. So, um, my website is essentially the Sermons Audio site. I primarily keep in touch with my people as far as the cutting-edge, breaking current events through email lists. I have two email lists, a health and a Christian-oriented email list. So, if you want on either one, just email me and tell me which ones, and I'll add you on. Okay, but that's, a, that's about all I can offer right now. Because I'm doing... in in regard to this ministry, I'm pretty much doing, you know, everything in it, and, and it's it's a lot of work. Um, but I praise the Lord, he's, he's given me the opportunity to do it, and, and I'm, I thank God for it. So, if we go further, 
So they 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 question the words of they always question the word of God. Because they say that Mormonism teaches that the Bible is the word of God, quote, as far as it is translated correctly. So that immediately throws question the word of God. Same thing that the serpent did in Genesis 3 to Eve. Yea, hath God said. He questioned the word of God. And once you start questioning the word of God, anything pretty much goes. You're going to fall hook, line, and sinker to whatever else they say. Then whenever a Mormon belief contradicts Scripture, the Mormons say that the particular part of Scripture is translated incorrectly. Isn't that convenient? And that the correct translation is one of the Mormon Scriptures. This is, um, I, this is, this whole report I'm reading from is all referenced. Uh, they, they'll give you the references and everything. So, uh, I'll try to make this link available. Thereby, the Bible is rejected as the infallible Word of God. The Bible is considered usable, but suspect, due to its many errors and missing parts. Now that is from that is a direct quote from Articles of Faith. This is from a Mormon doctrine. Number 8, Ensign, which is one of their magazines they brainwash people with. January 1989, page 25 and 27. So I'm not making this stuff up. You know, I had a lady email me this week. I thought this was good. She was rebuking me on how dare... on how I slander all these people, and how I need to not judge them. And, and it was on the teaching on the secret. The New Age name it and claim it, the thing that Oprah's talking about. And I just wondered, whoa, I, I mean, this sounded like, it didn't even sound like this is anybody even, probably with even any kind of Christian background. Somebody that would attack me over that, of all things. It would be like me doing an expose on the Satanic Bible and having somebody email me and say, you're bad, you're judging and slandering those poor Satanists because their, their, their hearts are really in the right place. You have no right to judge them. I thought that was kind of, you know, wacky, I guess. Never got, have, that's the first time I ever got rebuked on, on that particular message. So, uh, And then I had a person email me this week on the thing about how I didn't pronounce Osteen right, and I told her, I said, listen, I said, you're right, I did start pronouncing his name right toward the end. I said, but I couldn't see pulling the whole audio for that one thing. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm not perfect. And ne nor will I be perfect until Jesus Christ comes and gets, you know, me out of here. I'm not perfect. Okay, I never said I was. I'm sorry. I mean, I do the best I can. You know, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not perfect. Okay, and then, you know, now, Doug just pointed out to me that this, this, uh, Magazine is actually Ensign, not Ensign. So, there I go again. I, I'm i bad. I'm just, I'm bad. I need to be, I don't know, rebuked or something. But anyway, um, so, oh, and then I had another guy email me and he said that I'm, I'm too flippant. I'm too, he said he had a lady that, that knows about Joe Olstein and she's an avid follower of him, but the way I presented it would offend her because I'm very uh, flippant. Uh, sometimes with some of my comments. And you know what? I'm sorry. It's really hard not to be sarcastic with some of this material. Because it's such an affront and an abomination to God. Particularly when we're talking about supposedly people that are Christians. I just am not going to get in a mode where I'm absolutely, totally stoic about this type of information. I can't because you know what? It's all negative, And if you stay in that mode, it's going to drive you crazy. I have to interject a little bit of levity into this time and time. And I'll be honest with you, Jesus was sarcastic too. In a lot of the ways he dealt with Pharisees and Sadducees. There were times when he had that, displayed that. Okay, maybe I do carry it a little overboard. I'm sorry, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not perfect. So, 
anyway, um, then the, th- the next thing that we're going to look at is the Trinity. Mormon teaches that polytheism versus monotheism in the Bible, believing that the universe is inhabited by many gods who produce spirit children. Okay, that's what they believe. Um, they believe in a number of infinite number of holy personages drawn from other worlds without number who have passed on to exaltation and are thus gods. That's a quote from Mormon Doctrine, page 576 through 577. This is what they teach. Now, I'm not saying if they were to knock on your door, they're going to come out with... There's no way! You're not even going to know about this. A lot of Mormons probably don't even know about this at all, ever. I mean, hey, if only 10% could get in the temple, you know, there's not a lot. It's just like the lower level Freemasons. They, most of them don't go past the third degree. The, the, the Blue Lodge degrees, okay? Well, those guys, for the most part, don't have a clue about what Mormonism is all about. They don't have a clue. But now, the ones that the 30th, 31st, 32nd, and 33rd degree, those guys are more to know. But the, again, by the time you've taken 33 degrees and 33 blood oaths and learned 33 different magic muffin handshakes... You know, you're at a different level of demon possession at that point. You really are. Because every degree you go into this, and it's, this is true of every call, every degree, or every blood oath you swear, or everything that you do, just think of it this way. You're adopting a new set of demons. It's adopted demon day. When you go and get your next degree in Mormonism. Or when you go to get your next initiation in, in the uh, Freemasons, and these types of things. It's, a, it's adopted demon. Because you're essentially asking demons to come in you and to possess you. And these demons blind you to the truth. Lest the light of the glorious gospel shine, that they may be saved. That's the goal. That's the goal with all this. Um, Now, with their teachings on God, I'm going to uh, break away into another little study I had prepared on this. Because I think this is a little more complete than the, than the description they give. Mormon doctrine teaches that the God of this universe was once just a man on another planet. Just as human beings are on this planet. Now, you guys don't have these notes. By following the belief of the Mormon religion, after his death, he obtained salvation. This is God. He had to obtain salvation, just like we do. You know, He was resurrected from the dead and achieve the highest exaltation or eternal life, and qualified by the quality of his works during his human life to be granted the status of a God. That's what they believe about God. Now, I think, you know, this sheds a lot of light on how pathetic the statements that Joel Osteen made, (laughs) considering that he said that Mitt Romney you know, believed believed in basically the same Jesus Christ he believes in. He's a brother, essentially. He considers him a Christian. This is what Mitt Romney has been taught. This is what Mitt Romney believes. Would you want this guy running the country? Cult leader? So, and then it says, as a result, God obtained his own planet. Now, this planet's name was Kolob. Just so you know, a little trivia there. The planet Kolob. And he made it his home, along with his many wives. Oh, did you know that? 
God has wives. Of course, that doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. Um, I had dialogued with a guy in a phone conversation a long time ago, a guy that, that um, he, he, he turned out to be just a, I don't know what you'd call him, but he was way off base at bare minimum. And we got in a discussion about this, because he lived in Utah. And we got in this discussion about God, and the triune part of God, and he said, well, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and then there's Mother Goddess. Like, what are you talking about, Mother? What is this? He's like, oh, yes, yes, it's, it's Mother... They, see, they also believe this at the core levels. We're not going to really talk about that so much today. But I, I, asked, I tried to press him further about this information. He said, well, it's not, it's not fit that we ever even utter her name. She, in other words, she takes preeminence over God the Father and everything else. This is another really, really, really deep part of, of their theology. He said it's not even fit that we ever utter her name. So, they, they believe all kind of crazy stuff at the deepest levels. So, since a Mormon god has a physical body and not a spirit, he, along with his many wives, can procreate and produce many children to populate their heavenly planet. Seems plausible to me. Although the Father in Heaven and His wives have physical bodies, the children they produce are spiritual in nature. During the course of time, they produce literally billions of spirit children. Boy, they're prolific breeders. Literally billions of spirit children who are the same size as human beings on Earth. Well, I'm really glad we got this all clarified here. Let's see here. These spirit children must learn how to be gods like their father. So they must go through a lifetime of testing and learning experience, and when a sufficient number of them have been produced, the number is unknown at this time, the Heavenly Father and some of His sons commence the task of organizing a new physical world or planet, just like Earth, in which these spirits can commence their learning experience. That's what they believe. This is what... Mormon theology teaches. You think that those nice boys that show up on your doorstep are going to tell you about this? They probably don't even know about this. Unless they've thoroughly read through their unholy books and maybe gone to the next level. This is a quote from Latter-day Saint Apostle Orson Pratt from the publication The Seer. This was in 1853, this quote was taken. Pages 134 through 135. He says, Each succeeding generation of gods follow the example of the preceding ones. So it's like multi-level layers of gods. Each generation have their wives who raise up the fruit of their loins. You know, Doug, that's an expression you don't use enough, of fruit of your loins. They raise up the fruit of their loins, immortal spirits. When their families become numerous, they organize new worlds for them. They place their families upon the same. End of quote. Yeah, that seems, seems pretty plausible. Now, another tenet of Mormon theology, this is kind of re reiterates this. This is from an actual Mormon, a testimony from a Mormon. He said, we Mormons believe a spirit must live as a male humanoid <laughs> on a planet like Earth before becoming a god. See, and again, we go back to Genesis 3. 
What was the carrot that Satan put out in front of Eve? Ye shall be as God. First he questioned God's words. And then he said, here's the carrot. Ye shall be as God's. Isn't that what all New Age is based on? It's what most of all these cults are based on. They, all, they always pro, pro, um, promise Godhood, particularly to those in the higher ranks. And again, that's the, that's the carrot they put out in front of their um, cult followers in order to keep them going further and keep them in line as well. A lot of this is about control as well. So, then he goes on to say, this helps to prove our worth to the Heavenly Father. In other words, when a spirit lives as a male humanoid on earth before becoming God. This helps to prove our worth to the Heavenly Father. The omniscient on the planet Kolob. <laughs> and I just said he's from the planet Kolob, okay? I don't know where that's at. Maybe you get to Zeta Reticuli and make a left? I don't know. Who knows? Zeta Reticuli is coincidentally enough where all the gray aliens say they come from. little sidebar there for you. And then he says, From the planet Kolob, who by default always doubts the worthiness of the souls that he created? <laughs> okay. He says, However, Jesus was allowed to do this the other way around. Okay. He created the earth as a god naturally, and then came to live amongst his creation. Mormon theologians point to this oddity as proof that our earth's gods are the chief of all gods in the universe. See, they've always got, they've always got to make this to where we're the chief. We're, 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 the, we're the main ones. Then he goes on to say, this means that just as the hierarchical, patriarchal structure of the LDS religion is itself, the universe is also so structured. These scholars often point out to critics who say that Mormonism is outside Christianity, that Mormonism, uh, well, then he goes on to say, I don't even understand this sentence, but then he goes on to say, Mormonism and its polytheism, meaning that they believe in many gods, is just the same as Christianity with its trinity. We Mormons are Christians too. In fact, we believe that we are the only true Christians. Did you know that? All those who are not LDS are just plain wrong. Exclamation mark. Well, you know, if he says that it's good enough for me, what about you guys? I mean, you, I'm, I'm, I'm bought hook, line, and sinker. I'm converting after this, this uh, message. Sorry, just kidding. Teasing. So anyway, um, yeah, that's what they believe about God. Okay? I mean, you've probably already heard enough to know, but we're going to do a full teaching on this. We're going to look at some quotes from... The devil himself, jo Joseph Smith, and Brigham Young. You're not going to believe these quotes. They are some real doozies. Okay? <laughs> but we'll wait on that. We're, we're going to get through these first. Now, what do they believe about Christ? Mormonism acknowledges the divinity of Christ. But as noted above, Mormon doctrine teaches on what constitutes daily divinity falls seriously short of the biblical standard. Mormonism teaches that Jesus... Lucifer, and all demons, as well as all mankind, are actually spirit brothers and sisters. Born in the spirit world as the spirit babies to our man-god, heavenly father, and his goddess wives. Well, yeah, that, that really lines up with the Bible. And again, I'm being 
tongue-in-cheek here. Mormon leaders have consistently taught that God the Father, who they sometimes refer to as Adam God, had sexual relations on earth with, with Mary, his own spirit daughter, to produce the physical body of Jesus. This is insane! The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is that? Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ created the universe. It says, without Him was not anything made that was made. He created it. He spoke it into existence. Jesus Christ. He wasn't on our same level. He wasn't on our same playing field and he was just, you know, Satan or Lucifer's brother. He wasn't. He was far beyond that. So, as a Christian, you should take great offense to this. Okay, Doug just pointed out a really good point and it's right here and I, I missed it. Again, proving I am not perfect. Um, where I said Mormon leaders have consistently taught that God the Father had sexual relations on earth with Mary, his own spirit daughter. Well, what is that? That's incest. And do you realize there's a gigantic problem within Mormonism? Not so much now with multiple wives. Of course, there's still ones that have that. But with incest, it's, I mean, there's been all kind of reports up on the TV and things like this. These guys, they're, you know, that one guy out there that, that um, was like the head of, I don't know, a couple hundred people, or I, I, at least, and he got caught having incest and all the stuff. It's a, it's a incredible problem. Well, hey, if the foundation of your religion, and this is, if you think about it, this is the foundation of what their beliefs are. If the foundation is this way, don't you think that same spirit is going to permeate into its people that follow it? So it's no wonder they have a problem with that. The, the, the Mormon church is like what Jesus Christ described when he was talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, um, when he said that you are whitened sepulchers full of dead man's bones. You look all nice and pretty on the outside, but inside your your dead man's bone, inside your ravening wolves. See this whole facade about them being this clean cut one. They don't drink coffee or tea or do anything like this, and yet they're sitting there having incest with their with their children and doing all these dark things behind the curtain. That's more of an abomination than if you were out in the open doing it. I think in God's eyes. Because you're trying to come off like you're, like you're this wonderful person, or this wonderful religion, and it's a total lie from the pit of hell. He believed that God the Father had sexual relations with Mary, his own spirit daughter, to produce Jesus Christ. What an abomination. Early Mormon apostles also asserted that Christ was a polygamist. We're going to talk about that in a second now. That his wives included Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, and Mary Magdalene. Hey, guess what? What is, the, what is the Da Vinci Code teaching? What is the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail teaching? What is all this stuff coming out now, like on the Discovery and the History Channels, and all this thing about Jesus, how, how he was never crucified. He had, you know, Mary as his wife, Mary Magdalene. And they went, they whisked him off the cross. They moved up into Europe. He had a daughter by Mary Magdalene. This is what they're teaching. 
the, the core essence of the Da Vinci Code, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, the lost tomb of Jesus, all these things are trying to get people to believe that Jesus... Now, if you believe he had, he had a wife, then you could just throw the whole Bible out the door. If you believe he had a child, you could throw the whole Bible out the door. But that's what this teaching. From this bloodline, they believe that Mary Magdalene gave him a girl, and this is where they have the um, Merovingian bloodline, which is one of the 13 bloodlines of the Illuminati. These people, who are some of the main princes and princesses over in the European region, believe that they are direct descendants of Jesus Christ, through the lineage of him and Mary Magdalene. That's what they believe. And again, you believe that, throw the Bible out the door. See, it doesn't take a lot. It, it really only takes one little thing, well that's a big thing, but it takes one thing like that to be able to say, okay, well the Bible's not true, it's all a lie. We've just been lied to. Well, isn't that convenient? I, I mean, I will, get, I will admit that it's very, very hard in today's day and age to not be deceived. You have to go out of your way. But if the Holy Spirit lives inside you, and you're truly seeking truth, the Comforter which lives inside you will show you these things. I'm not going to say He's going to show it to you all once. I'm still learning. But eventually He'll show them to you. And you might have to go through a lot to finally find, get out of this. I know I did. But they're, they're teaching that Jesus Christ was a polygamist. He had multiple wives, actually. And this is going to be one of the this is one of the big things that's happening right now, this push to, to question the authenticity of Jesus Christ that he was even here. Or if he was here, well he had he had multiple wives. Or if he did, he was had Mary Magdalene, they went up there and they formed the Merovingian bloodline and you know. They were practicing high level witchcraft. They believed that Mary Magdalene was actually, quote, the Holy Grail. Why? Because she was the receptacle. They believe she was the receptacle of the seed of Jesus. Which is an abomination. I don't even like saying it. But I'm saying that's what they believe. That's what they're teaching. So they believe she was the Holy Grail. I know, it's nuts. It's crazy. But that's what they believe. Now, Mormons claim to be Christians and believe in Jesus Christ of the Bible. They are greatly offended when told that they are not Christians. However, when examining their beliefs by comparing them with the Bible, you get a real understanding as to why they are wrongly identifying themselves with Jesus Christ in the Bible. It is not the LDS Church's official doctrine that Jesus Christ was married and practiced polygamy, but it was certainly taught by church officials and believed by the Mormon people. The following quotes by prophets and authorities of the LDS Church clearly show that the Mormon God and Jesus Christ are not the God and the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Here is, a more, here is more deniable evidence that Mormons are not Christians because they do not believe in the true God or Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. Now we should note that the LDS prophets preached and believed about Jesus Christ. One of them was Jedediah M. Grant. He was the second counselor to Brigham Young the second prophet of the LDS Church. He said, quote, Celsius was a heathen philosopher. And what does he say upon the subject of Christ and the Apostles? And their belief. He says, now he's quoting from some heathen philosopher. You've got a guy on his way to hell quoting from a heathen philosopher. You've got a problem there already. Okay, But this guy Celsius which is where we get our temperature gauge from. No, just kidding. Sorry, I just made that up. Uh, anyway, um, 
he had a brother named Fahrenheit. Oh, sorry, sorry. A little dry humor. A little dry humor in the midst of all this. So anyway, Celsius, the heathen philosopher, says about, on the subject of Christ and his apostles, in their belief, he says, quote, the grand reason why the Gentiles and the philosophers of his school persecuted Jesus Christ was because he had so many wives. There were Elizabeth and Mary and a host of others who followed after him. End of quote. Yeah, I'm going to go to a heathen philosopher to get the truth about the Bible. Yeah. I'm sure he doesn't have a hidden agenda. I'm sure he has no reason to slander Jesus Christ. No. After Jesus went from the stage of action, the apostles followed the example of their master. The grand reason of the burst of public sentiment in the anathemas upon Christ and his disciples casing his crucifixion was evidently based upon the polygamy, a belief in the doctrine of the plurality of wives caused the persecution of Jesus and his followers. What a lie from the pit of hell. I mean, you, you can't even conceive of, the, of this stuff. But they just make it up as they go. So it's the doctrine of the plurality of wives which actually caused the persecution of Jesus Christ and his followers. We might also think they were Mormons. End of quote. Now this is what that Jedediah guy said. So in other words, he's saying that Jesus and his apostles all had multiple wives, and that's why they really were true Mormons. Even though there's, there's no, absolutely no shred of evidence proving any of this. Where was that from? That quote I just read, the Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, pages 345 to 346. So if there's any Mormons listening to this, you can go check this out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. So, again, we're seeing, I can see it a lot clearer now, reading these things and seeing things like the Da Vinci Code and Holy Blood, Holy Grail and all these other things questioning Jesus Christ. Mormons have been doing it for years, if you think about it. They're way ahead of the curve in that regard. Mormon apostle Orson Hyde made these statements. Quote, It will be born in the mind that once on a time, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. No less a person than Jesus Christ was married on that occasion. If he was never married, his intimacy with Mary and Martha and the other Mary of whom Jesus loved must have been of highly unbecoming and improper to say the least of it. End of quote. What abominations unjustified lies. Unmitigated lies. That's what we're reading here today. He also went on to say, quote, I will venture to say that if Jesus Christ were now to pass thought the most pious countries in Christendom with a train of women such as used to follow him, he would be mobbed, tarred, feathered, and rode, not on an ass, but on a rail. End of quote. So in other words, evidently because he had women and men following him, all the, he was married to all the women, is, is his assumption here. What a leap of logic that is. I mean, come on. And then he goes on to say, Quote, At this doctrine, the long-faced hypocrite and the sanctimonious bigot will probably cry blasphemy. Object not, therefore, too strongly against the marriage of Christ. End of quote. Where did these statements just come from? Journal of Discourses, Volume 4, pages 259 to 260. These are Mormon documents. 
Now, notice what he said in this last quote. At this doctrine, the long-faced hypocrite and the sanctimonious bigot will probably cry blasphemy. Well, isn't that what I've been crying? Well, he, what he's doing is he's preemptively saying this because he's a devil and he wants to preemptively preempt me or anyone else that would speak out against this. So what he does is he, puts, he pre-labels anyone who would even dare speak out against this as a long-faced hypocrite and a sanctimonious bigot. That's what he's, that's the label he's trying to put upon me because I would dare speak against this prophet or whatever he was, this apostle. I've noticed that many religious devils use the same preemptive tactic to label anyone who would dare oppose their views. This is very, very common. I've noticed people doing this. I've gotten emails from people that will say the most ludicrous things, unscripturally backed, undiscerning things to me, and then at the end, they will say a very similar statement as this, you know, uh, and I know that, that you being the hypocrite that you will that you are and, and the bigot that you are, you're going to cry out blasphemy, but that's all the further evidence that you are these very things. Why? Because I, I want to embrace truth, and you want to embrace a lie, and I want to go against you, so you want to preemptively label me? Now, I'm not just saying myself. I'm saying this is a common tactic of religious devils. When they're in the wrong and when they're, they're in, the, in error, they love to do this. Because they know what the reaction is going to be. So they want to be preemptive in saying, Ah, I know what you're going to do, and you're a bigot, and you're a hypocrite because you're doing it. Doesn't make it, it doesn't make it any more the case. They're still the same devil. They're still just as in the wrong, no matter what they say. And then this devil apostle, Orson Hyde, goes on to say, quote, When Mary of old came to the sepulcher, she saw two angels in white. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have, they have taken away my Lord, or husband. And I know not where they have hid him. Now, he interjected this husband part. You notice, that's all it takes. Just change the word of God just a little bit. And everything goes awry. Okay? And again, that was from Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 210. So he... He has this leap of logic where he he equivalent where he says take away my lord or husband. He just kind of throws that in there. Anything goes with this guy, you know. Through his tradition, he's made the word of God of, of none effect. He's corrupted and perverted and polluted the word of God. That's what he's done. Plain and simple. I am at this point going to probably end this portion of the uh, sermon here so that we have time to go through the rest. Well, actually, i tell you what. I'm going to say a few more things. I know that people that want to put these on CDs, there's only so much time. Uh, I believe CDs are like 80 minutes. So I'm trying to always be cognizant of that now. My older teachings are sometimes three hours long. And I apologize. I really wasn't thinking when I made those that people were going to try to put these on CDs. So uh, maybe someday I'll go and break them up, but that's a, that's a big, big job to do. So um, just pray that I'll ultimately have the time to do that. So if we go further, it says in 1853, the following appeared in a Mormon church paper. 
the Millennial Star. Uh, this was the Millennial Star, volume 15, page 825. This is 1853 now. Quote, We apprehend that even greater troubles than these may arise before mankind. Learn all before mankind, learn all the particulars of Christ's incarnation, how and by whom he was begotten. Remember what we had said about how he was begotten when Father God had supposedly sex with his daughter Mary, which was indicative of incest, and then procreated Jesus? What a lie from the pit of hell! So it says, again, I'll start over. We apprehend that even greater troubles than these may arise before mankind learn all the particulars of Christ's incarnation, how and by whom he was begotten, the character of the relationships formed by the act, and the number of wives and children that he had. End of quote. Worm has been teaching this ever since the inception of their cursed religion. Here's a statement by Brigham Young, second prophet of the LDS Church. Quote, the scripture says that he, the Lord, came walking in the temple with his train. And then he says, I do not know who they were unless his wives and children. So he thinks that the train were the train of wives and children. You ever heard like a train, like on a wedding dress and in these robes and things? That's the train we're in reference to here, guy. Brigham Young. This guy was an absolute scriptural illiterate. He admits it. We're going to see some quotes where he admits it. That he doesn't even understand the Bible. But this is their main guy leading their religion? Well, he had a big backbone though. He was a man's man. Yeah, we're going to see what a man's man he was. All the people he killed. Doesn't make him a man's man. He's a devil. Now, don't think I'm... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I know I'm sugarcoating a lot of this. So, I, I do apologize about that. I, I, I need to stop beating around the bush. That's my problem. Okay, here's another quote. From the Mormon Apostle Orson Pratt. Quote, It will be seen that the great Messiah, who was the founder of the Christian religion, was a polygamist. The Messiah chose, by marrying honorable wives himself, show, all, show to all future generations that he approbated the plurality of wives under the Christian dispensation as well as under the dispensation in which his polygamist ancestors lived. We have now clearly shown that God the Father had plurality of wives. End of quote. That's from the Seer, page 172. So again, if a Mormon was listening to this and their blood is boiling, why is your blood boiling? These are quotes from your religion, from your guys. You should be mad at them, not me. But see, you have to understand, if somebody's a Mormon, there's demons that are inside them that are either heavily influencing them, if not outright possessing them. And those demons don't want you to hear truth. So when you see these types of reactions in people like Catholics and people, and all of a sudden they go from being seemingly nice people to like, they're demon possessed, that's exactly what's happening. It's exactly what is happening. This is why prayer is the battlefield upon which this battle is truly won. Because this is not a physical battle. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, princes, rules of wickedness in high places. These are the things we should actually be praying against, if you think about it. I mean, are we going to focus on the person, or on the actual source of the problem, which is actually demonic? 
And that's why we're also instructed to put on the full armor of God. So we may be able to stand in the day of evil. That's why. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Having your loins girded with truth. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Putting on the helmet of salvation. And taking up the shield of faith. And the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. And then above all having with all supplication and prayer. That's what we're supposed to do. Putting on the mind of Christ. That's how we actually do battle. I am at this point going to go to the next part of the teaching and we'll continue where we left off.